Depression in pregnancy affects up to 10% of women. Both depression and its drug treatments can have adverse effects on the pregnancy and the fetus, and supporting women to make treatment decisions can be tough. This week's clinical review looks at how to identify depression in pregnancy and how to share information with women about the risks and benefits of treatments to reach a shared management plan. I'm Sophie Cook, Clinical Reviews Editor, and I'm joined in the studio today by one of the authors of the review, Louise Howard, Professor of Women's Mental Health from King's College London and NIHR Research Professor in Maternal Mental Health, to find out more about the review. Louise, thanks for joining me today. Can I start by asking you, why is it important to diagnose and treat depression in pregnancy? Depression in pregnancy, like any other time, is distressing for the person concerned. And of course, women, if they're depressed in pregnancy, will also be concerned about the effect it may have on the fetus. If the depression continues, then that might impact on the time after birth, when a woman wants to be well and looking after her baby. And of course, it might also impact on her family. And when things are severe, then, you know, rarely, but significantly, it can lead to suicide. So many reasons why doctors and other health professionals should be identifying depression in pregnancy. Are there groups of women who are at greater risk from depression in pregnancy? The strongest risk factor for depression is a history of depression and any history of a mental health problem previously also is a strong risk factor. And as for depression at other times in a woman's life, other psychosocial stressors can be a precipitant for depression. We know that a family history is also significant. And then there are particular stresses which we know are important, such as domestic violence. So it's very similar to other times, but of course it has a particularly important impact at this point in a woman's life. What sort of symptoms and signs should health professionals be on the lookout for that might signify depression or raise the alarm bells? Well, NICE guidelines would actually recommend that all health professionals should be asking how women are feeling and how they're coping with the pregnancy. And there are some specific questions that NICE recommends that women are asked at every point of contact during pregnancy and also in the postnatal period. And these are the Hooli questions which we describe in the review which ask about persistent feelings of feeling low, miserable down and also a lack of interest and enjoyment in things. But of course some women may respond that they feel okay and yet they are depressed and they may not recognise that actually they're not themselves. So other particularly um, worrying things for a health professional might be that if a woman's not very um, uh, not very responsive, she's quite flat, if she says that she's Um, doing less than she usually does, she's not sleeping well, um, that she's not able to concentrate, maybe she's finding that it's impacting on her at work. If, If many of those other features are there, and then you might start to feel that maybe the reason she didn't want to say that she feels low is because of the stigma of depression, you might then start to probe a little bit more and actually discover that she's not herself, she is feeling tearful, and that she is feeling quite down and unable to cope. Are there any screening tools to help identify depression specifically in pregnant women? The the suggested questions that NICE uses are the Hooli questions. 
They have not been specifically validated for every time point in pregnancy and there is a study underway that we're actually doing at the moment funded by the National Institute for Health Research looking at that, at how well they actually identify depression. But there are other tools such as the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale which are often used internationally and are fairly good at identifying depression. They do have false positives. A tool is not the same as a diagnostic clinical interview but although it's called the Edinburgh a postnatal depression scale, it has been validated for pregnancy as well. So in many countries, um, the longer, the 10-question tool, the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale, is used. The reason that in this country the two-question um, Hooli questions are suggested is that this is felt to be more practical for midwives and there are some evidence to suggest that in the perinatal period they may be certainly a good first um, first go at trying to identify those core symptoms of depression, low mood and lack of interest. And I was interested in the, in the review that you talk a little bit about the cautions associated with other tools. Uh, and can you explain a little bit more about that? Some of the tools focus on somatic symptoms that, of course, will be quite complicated to assess during pregnancy. So if somebody says they've lost their appetite, is that a pregnancy symptom or is it actually a symptom of, of, of uh, depression? Similarly, for sleep, it may be that the discomfort of pregnancy or the frequent visiting of the toilet at night is actually the cause of sleep. But one can try to disentangle that by asking, well, what happens after you've come back from from the toilet, are you able to go back to sleep? And it's it's then that actually you start to get a picture of whether it is actually a loss of sleep that's really more than just the inconvenience of the pregnancy. Once depression is highly suspected or diagnosed, at what point should clinicians and health professionals be thinking about treatment? If depression is present, then um, it depends a bit on the presenting um, severity. So if somebody is presenting with a severe depression, that is very different to somebody who's presenting with a mild depressive disorder. But even for a mild depression, we would suggest that some basic uh, treatments um, can be helpful. Um, there are various self-help tools. Um, of course, in the UK, IAPT, the um, Primary Care Psychological Therapy Service, offers guided self-help. We do think that those sort of interventions should be tailored for pregnancy because there are particular issues in pregnancy that women will be concerned about. And certainly NICE recommends that if somebody is being seen for a low-intensity psychological intervention, then that should be tailored for pregnancy. And, of course, there are simple measures that women can take, like making sure they are getting out every day, they're managing to do some basic exercise, such as a good walk every day, because some of that, what we call behavioural activation, can in itself be helpful for a mild depression. So I would say... If, if you're concerned about somebody that's depressed, then get them help because what one doesn't want is something that gets worse or persists because really it's persistent and severe depression that is associated with the adverse consequences. Let's talk a little bit about the evidence for those non-pharmacological treatments that you, that you mentioned. Can you tell me a bit about that? A lot of what we do in the perinatal period is extrapolation from the non-perinatal period because the trials that have been done on psychological interventions tend to be smaller and there haven't been as many. Um, but those that have been done 
are suggesting very much the same as occurs in trials done for women outside of the perinatal period in that psychological interventions can be helpful. So they are first line and in fact unlike other times we would suggest that those would be promoted more than medication for somebody that doesn't have a moderate to severe depression because as with um, all pregnancies and all medication, one wants to minimise medication exposure unless it's necessary. So if it's possible to treat a depression in pregnancy with a non-pharmacological intervention, then that's what we would advise. When might we think about pharmacological treatments and what should we be considering in depression in pregnancy? What we would say is that if somebody has a history of a severe depression or is presenting with a moderate to severe depression, then pharmacological intervention may be the most appropriate first line. It does depend a bit on a woman's history, but also, of course, her own preferences and what she wants to try first. Um, but if somebody is presenting with a severe disorder, then usually she will need a pharmacological intervention as well as a psychological intervention. If treatment is if pharmacological treatment is recommended and that's what the woman likes would like to have, what would you initiate? How would you go about starting it and what, what would you choose? The most important thing is to actually look at a woman's res previous response. So what did she respond to previously? It isn't a good idea to go for the medication that happens to have a particular evidence base at a particular point in time. They keep on being new studies looking at the various possible risks. What's most important when thinking about pros and cons of medication is actually thinking about if we're going to expose a pregnancy to a medication, let's expose the pregnancy to something that's effective. So what has she responded to previously? Now often that will be in, in um, the 21st century an SSRI because those are usually prescribed first line. So you would normally choose an SSRI because it's safer in terms of overdose. Um, we would need to explain to a woman the current state of the evidence base when it comes to SSRIs or other antidepressants and that's when things get complicated. And that's exactly what I was going to ask next. So obviously we mentioned that pregnant women may worry about you know com commencing treatment because of the potential consequences to the pregnancy or to the fetus and I just wondered about the information that you think it's important for us to discuss about the risks and the benefits and how we might frame that so that a woman is able to make an informed decision. I think the first thing for a woman to understand is that if one doesn't treat depression, then that has adverse consequences potentially. So if one's talking about medication, you're usually talking to somebody with moderate to severe problems. Um, and if they are not treated, then that is going to impact potentially on their pregnancy because they're not going to be eating as well. The stress hormones might potentially be impacting on, there's some evidence suggesting that that might impact on gestational age at birth, it might impact on birth weight. And then most importantly, it might become chronic and it might impact on how well the mum's able to interact with the baby and we know that that is associated with potential developmental problems for the child. So chronicity is something that we really want to prevent and therefore having an antidepressant in pregnancy rather than waiting until after the pregnancy is over will usually be something that is appropriate in somebody that can't respond to a psychological intervention because their symptoms are so severe. 
And then there is the challenge for women, understanding the nature of the information that's available, because much of it is extremely unclear. And I usually explain to women that we don't have randomised controlled trial evidence for adverse outcomes. What we have are observational studies. And what is difficult about observational studies is that we can't disentangle what is associated with what. So if an antidepressant has been associated with let's say, the very rare disorder, persistent pulmonary hypertension of the newborn, was it the antidepressant that caused the persistent pulmonary hypertension of the newborn, or was it something associated with depression, such as the depression itself, such as potentially more caesarean sections, having a premature birth, all of these factors are also associated with persistent pulmonary hypertension of the newborn. And it's our responsibility as researchers and as clinicians to understand that evidence, to disentangle as much as we can what is due to other risk factors and control for those in our analyses, and to say how much of it could still be due to unexplained risk factors. And the really reassuring thing about this evidence base is that actually we are not finding huge associations with adverse outcomes. We're finding small associations that still may be actually attributable to other risk factors apart from the antidepressant. I find it reassuring because if there was something that really was consistently found with a large effect then we would be very concerned. But actually what we're finding is the higher the quality of the study, the smaller the effect found. So the more one adjusts for these other factors, such as smoking, alcohol misuse, body mass index in the case of some of these um, associations, the less of an association we're finding. So we have a responsibility to say to women what the current evidence base is, and it will be different next year because we have new studies appearing every day, but it actually is a relatively reassuring picture. And if one weighs that up against the consequences of a severe depression, then actually the decision is often not that difficult because we don't have a particularly alarming set of data currently. Now that's not to say that the evidence base may not change, but at the moment the associations that are found are small and they remain uncertain. Thank you. What about the duration of therapy? So a woman has started on treatment during her pregnancy, she delivers, what next? We would recommend very similarly um, to other evidence-based guidelines on depression. So in the UK, one often suggests that for a first episode, one is treated for at least six months from the point of recovery, not from the point of first starting treatment. Um, in the um, North American guidelines, it was interesting writing the review with a North American colleague because their guidelines are for a year in the first instance. Um, but if somebody's got a history of depression, then we would usually recommend one to two years to continue with treatment. And what about follow-up after delivery? How regularly should we be seeing women and reassessing Again, it depends a bit on the history and the presentation of the depression in pregnancy. And of course, all women should be seen very regularly in the immediate postpartum period. They're often seen daily or every few days by a midwife. They have the six-week check. So it does depend a bit on how that woman is. If that woman has fully recovered, then she may not need to be seen very often. If, however, she's got quite a severe depression, then it might be very different. Remember also that for a woman with severe depression, depression, who potentially has a family history of bipolar disorder, there is this increased risk 
of a postpartum psychosis and the um, it's very different for somebody that might have a bipolar disorder that's been undiagnosed. So if there's a family history of bipolar disorder or postpartum psychosis and somebody's presenting with depression, one needs to be very aware to check whether there's any symptoms in the past of hypermania and whether or not there might be an increased risk in that early postpartum period. And finally, Louise, what about the long-term prognosis following depression in pregnancy? Do most women tend to recover? Does it become chronic? And what about subsequent pregnancies and what we should do? It's a great question because actually we don't really know the answer to that. I don't think there have been many cohorts which have followed up long-term a particular cohort of women depressed in pregnancy. What we know is that depression is a recurrent disorder for many. For at least 50%, women will get it again. Um, and for some, they will get it more than once. But for many women, um, it is likely that this might be a one-off and it may be many years before they ever experience a depression again. Of course, it partly depends on stressors, whether somebody's living in adversity or whether somebody's actually then living in a much better situation. So I don't think that one can say for an individual woman in front of her, in front of you, how, how likely it is that she'll ever experience such a thing again. Louise, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me.